Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Well, who's getting excited about Christmas? So glad to have you with us today at Ivy. It's World Cup Day and I know people are getting excited about that and celebrating from so many nations as a result of this tournament that people have been in. Um, But whatever happens with that, we've got something even greater to celebrate when those celebrations are over. And it's not looking forward to this team or that team lifting the cup. It's not looking back to a year or a time when your nation or mine won it in 1966 or whenever. We have something we look back further on that helps us always to have something to look forward to. A time when representatives of various non-Jewish nations came and bowed down and instead of receiving trophies, they presented gifts to Jesus Christ. And as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of our Saviour again in this Christmas season, today we're going to think about the three different gifts that were given to Jesus around the time of his birth from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 2. Chances are these magi came a little while after his birth because it says by now he was not a baby but an infant, a toddler perhaps, when suddenly these people from nations that throughout the Old Testament have been outsiders because they were not part of the chosen people, they were Gentiles, like many of us, from different backgrounds, nations and ethnicities. But when they came from the East, they found they were accepted. Their gifts were received when God came to earth to save us. If you don't know the story, Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. And some wise men, the technical phrase for them is magi, travelled great distances to come and find and ultimately worship Jesus. We don't know whether they travelled together or just bumped into each other when they arrived at Jerusalem, but they'd studied the ancient scriptures. They read the signs of the times that told them God was up to something new in their day, something great. And that's why they were wise. They saw that God was up to something and they decided to do something to investigate it. How many wise men were there? Well, if you look at a nativity scene, you pretty much are always going to shout out that there's three, aren't you? That's what we tend to think. We think we know there were three, but that's because it says they came with three gifts. But really, we've got no idea for certain how many of them there were. There could have been dozens, but tradition and carols over the centuries tell us that there were three. And centuries after plays were written and so on, where they gave them various fancy names, but all of that's really made up. We don't know any more than what we read in Scripture, but from that we can establish that they were highly educated, greatly respected. Or else, how would they get an audience with King Herod as soon as they turned up and ask him for directions and ask him questions. We know that they were very wealthy, we know they were generous, they were on a hunt, desperate to meet the one that their search had led them to the conclusion was the real king of the Jews, who would be the saviour of the whole world. It says here, Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Did you notice that? They saw a child, but they bowed down and worshipped him. It was Jesus. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. We had three children over the years and people were very kind, giving us gifts for them, but nobody ever gave us gold or frankincense or myrrh. What's that about? We got nice knitted jumpers and cardigans and hats and booties and rattles or whatever. But the Magi gave three gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And those gifts were valuable, spiritual and practical in that order. Of course, the gold was valuable, you know that, because of its scarcity. It represented and honoured the kingship of Jesus. The gold says he's the king. Jesus is our king, the king of glory, the king of righteousness, the king of the ages, the king of all kings, the king of the Jews and the king of the whole universe. You see, when Jesus was born, people were expecting a Messiah. They were waiting for the king to come. They were waiting a long time for this saviour, the king to be born. But the problem is, where do you expect a king to be born? In a palace surrounded by wealth and luxury and comfort. That's what everybody expected. That's probably why these guys went straight to the palace in Jerusalem to find out where the king was. The Magi knew when they saw Herod that he wasn't the real king of the Jews, no matter how much he pretended. That's why he was so rattled when they came asking. He was, he was a liar. He, he, he was threatened by the idea of a king, a real king being there. Then even more worried when the people in his palace who knew the Bible said the Messiah was predicted, prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. And that's why later he tried to kill Jesus by wiping out every single baby boy there. And if God hadn't warned them all in dreams, he'd have succeeded. So remember that they gave gold to Jesus because Jesus was the king. It was valuable. And the frankincense was incredibly spiritual to show us Jesus is our priest. I want to talk more about that today. I'm going to focus in on the frankincense in a moment. But just to say, too, that the myrrh was very practical because it showed how Jesus is the saviour. It was practical because it showed how he would die so we might live. Myrrh is a gum-like substance. It's mentioned 17 times in the Bible. It was also occasionally used as a kind of anaesthetic. You might recall the Bible says when Jesus was on the cross, as he was dying on the cross, they offered something to Jesus, wine mixed with myrrh, but he refused to take it. He took everything on the cross for us without anaesthetic. But the most common use of myrrh was to embalm a dead body. Before you put it in the tomb, they wrapped the body up in bandages and the myrrh held it all together like a mummy. So look at, think about these three gifts and you have to wonder why anybody would give them to a young child. Unless you know he's not just any child and you're a prophet and you, you know somehow you glimpsed. You, you, so you bring gold and frankincense and myrrh because you see it's foreshadowed that even though now he's only a boy, that he has come to live as a king, that he's come to serve as a priest and he's come to save by his death. So I haven't got time to speak too long about all three, but I think if I just focus in on the frankincense today, it's going to help us understand all three a little bit better. Anyway, these three roles that Jesus was doing. Frankincense is an oil. It's also very expensive and it had healing properties. You put it on wounds as an antiseptic and use it as an astringent, but it was also the oil that priests would use during the sacrifices as they burned the incense that would then make the smoke that would rise up to heaven. So it symbolized prayer, the prayers of the people rising in faith to God. So 
Bible scholars agree, gold is valuable, and that represents that Jesus is the king. And frankincense represents the priestliness of Jesus, that he is, as scripture says, our great high priest, who's offered himself as the final, the full, the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sins. When he died once and for all on the cross to bring us to God, so that we could all be included in his love forever. Nobody needs to be an outsider anymore. In the, in the Bible, all through the Old Testament, the priest represented God to the people and the people to God. That meant, first of all, that the priests, and there were lots of priests, they made thousands of sacrifices every year to God. You'd take an innocent animal and slay it with its blood being spilled to represent how the people's sins could be forgiven if a sacrifice was made for them. Though actually there was no real power in the sacrifice. But they knew it represented the blood of the pure and spotless animal. It couldn't do anything for them, but it was symbolic that breaking the holy God's holy laws was punishable by death. We might excuse it, rename it, justify it, but God doesn't. God calls sin, sin, and he hates sin. So, the earthly priest sacrificed, but he didn't sacrifice himself because he wasn't perfect. None of us are. Not a single one of us. Not me, not you, not that really nice person that you know at work. Scripture teaches us every single human being, we've all sinned, we've done wrong, we've fallen short of God's standards, and sin breaks our intimacy with the Holy God. And we can't fix that. We needed God to come and do that. That's why Jesus came, the Son of God. Because the Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who brings us together. No ordinary priest could do that. He prayed prayers on behalf of people, the people to God, representing the people to God. And I mean, I mean the Jewish people at that time uh, were prayed for by the priests because the sacrifices in the temple were all about the Jewish people, the chosen people. But this frankincense was brought to Jesus by these non-Jewish people pointing to them. Somehow they were figuring out that Jesus was their priest too. He's our priest too. So they bring what they have, this oil, and they lay it before him to say, show us God and represent us to God. Pray for us. Be our priest. See, once a year on Yom Kippur, the high priest would make a sacrifice as a temporary kind of payment for the sins of the people. The Day of Atonement. He'd sacrifice an innocent animal and go into the temple, behind the curtain, into the place known as the Holy of Holies. Then he would light the frankincense releasing smoke, burning up to heaven to represent the cries of the confessions of all the sinful people of God standing outside asking for mercy. And even though this was only said then to cover unintentional sins, the priest would take the blood of that perfect lamb and sprinkle it on the mercy seat to symbolise that somehow the death of an innocent one paying the price in place of the guilty ones for and on behalf of our sins would make a difference. And I know it sounds extreme and gross, maybe unfair to us, that, that animal was slain, but it was showing that God is not only holy, but it was showing us that sin must be punished somehow. And it showed us his mercy, because you couldn't pay for that death sentence yourself. We never had enough to be able to pay the price of our sins, but the sacrifice was made and the punishment was laid, all pointing to Jesus himself, who was both the sacrifice and the priest. Then, you've heard of a scapegoat, haven't you? Well, that's what happened next. Literally, the priest would take an innocent goat and lay his hands on its head to symbolise 
and confess the sins of the people, transferring the sins onto the goat's head. And then they would take that goat and drive it out into the wilderness, or sometimes like chase it off a cliff to show they wanted that sin gone, to never be able to come back and haunt them again with guilt or shame. What a picture of how serious they were and how much they saw sin and sacrifice and forgiveness as important. Now, Scripture, remember, says all of this was just a temporary covenant under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. But now we have a New Testament because of Jesus. We have a better, a new sacrifice. Hebrews 10, verses 10 to 14 says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, but... When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, God wants us to be his people, his holy people. And the only way that can ever happen, because we're all sinners and none of us are perfect, is that he makes us holy. You might think of yourself as a good person compared with somebody else, or you might think you're too bad to come before God. Both of those assessments are totally wrong, and they'll only ever keep us from what God wants to do and keep us away from God, because God wants to make us holy. We're not holy in and of ourselves, but it's God's will, and he's made a way for us to be holy. How can it happen? By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time, 2,000 years ago. As it says here, the old religious system, and really all religion, any system of me trying somehow to prove myself good enough for God by myself, it means that I've got to do my best and do my duties day after day after day, but it will never be enough. The sacrifices can never take away sin. Only Jesus can. And he has. He did it. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, offered himself to God as the one pure, sinless, spotless, single sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, from Adam to me and to you and to the last person alive on earth when he returns. The sacrifice for every sin for everyone. Wow. Take a moment and consider that. It should blow your mind or else you've not begun to understand what it really means. That the innocent one, the blameless one, took the blame, the shame, the guilt on the cross. That his blood was shed for everyone, including you, including me. Whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever you've done, you're not good enough to please God by your own efforts. And if you think you are, that pride will drag you away from his power to save you because you'll keep on trying to save yourself. And none of us can do that. I'm not good enough. But that sacrifice was good enough. And it's good for all all time. It wasn't just some temporary religious ritual that a priest did in the temple. Jesus, our high priest, offered and gave his life, shed his innocent blood to cover and wash away all our sins. People from every nation, wherever we've come from, or whatever we've done, whenever we did it, whoever we did it with, we can be included in that love because that sacrifice satisfies the justness of God, pays the price in full, so you and I can be free. It breaks every bond. It extends the full mercy of God to his whole creation because he loves us so much that he gave his only son. So whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life today, now and forever. 
The Magi brought the valuable gold because Jesus is the king. They brought the practical myrrh because they knew he would die for us. And the spiritual frankincense because he is our high priest who scripture says understands and cares for you and me. You see, this shows he's not some distant and aloof religious figure that you can't relate to. That's loud and clear again in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what that tells me? Jesus gets us so we can get him and we can get to God. He understands our weaknesses. He knows our temptations, trials, tests and tears. He's faced all the same things we do, yet here's the difference. He did not sin, so he can save us who do. How fantastic it is to know this is what our God is like. Whoever we are, wherever we've come from, whatever you've done, whatever you've come out of or are going through, Jesus understands. He empathises, it says, with our problems. He sympathises with our pain. Whatever you're going through at this very moment, he cares and he understands what you're going through. I see that when I get to know him in scripture so clearly. Read the Bible because it's so encouraging. If I feel stressed one day, I'm getting overwhelmed and I read here and I see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. If I feel alone, I read about when Jesus' friends abandoned him that night and he knew what was coming and he fell to the ground and he said, my soul is overwhelmed in agony to the point of death. He understands. He understands you and me. If you deal with difficult people, Jesus dealt with difficult people. Not just enemies, his own family at times. They said, if you remember, you're not the Messiah, you're, you're deluded. Come home with us. They tried to take charge of him. They thought he'd gone mad, it says. Maybe somebody will think you're crazy for being a Christ follower. He gets that. He's been there. Christ understands. Jesus understands. He was conceived out of wedlock to a teenage mum, scandalous in a small town where everybody whispered about him. He was criticised, ridiculed, bullied, tempted by the devil again and again and again. And when he was at his weakest and most vulnerable, he still didn't sin. Jesus experienced the death of a close friend. He was accused of things that he never did. His friends betrayed him and worst of all, he felt abandoned by God, his father on the cross. He wasn't, but he felt that way because when Jesus, the great high priest, became sin for us, when his blood was being shed, when all of my sin and yours were put on him like the sacrificial lamb, like the scapegoat, as he who had no sin, the Bible says, gave his life for sinners, God looked away. Why? Because God is too holy to look upon sin and Jesus was covered in your sin and mine. That's when Jesus cried out in agony, my God, my God, where are you? Have you forsaken me? You went through that abandonment, that rejection too, so that we could be included in God's love, in God's family. Jesus cares and understands. Whatever happened, he knows. Whatever you feel, he felt. Whenever you hurt, he hurt. He is your great high priest and he sympathises. He's been there. He's been here on planet earth. So now he's not just sitting around in heaven going, well, all right for me, sucks to be you. No, read John's gospel. It starts right at the beginning. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God 
That's where it starts, but it didn't say stay there. He came for us, and the Word became flesh. God was born at Bethlehem. He was an embryo in Mary's womb for nine months. That's where the miracle of the incarnation began. The Word became flesh in the womb. Then he was born nine months later. He was a baby. Then he grew like you and me in the form of a child who knew what life here is like because he loves you. He cares about you. And one day, God, in his divine plan and providence, sent magi, wise men, to offer gifts. Gold for the king, our king. Frankincense for our high priest. Myrrh for his death as our suffering servant to bring us safe to God and saved to God. All prophetically declaring the nature of Jesus, telling us we can come today from wherever we've been and bow down before him too and offer our love and our lives and ask him to lead us now and forever as our king and priest and saviour too. Make it personal today. Let's pray now. Let's pray. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. You can do that today. That's your invitation. You can come boldly to him. You can come to him because he cares. You can come to him because he understands. Let's pray to talk to him. Let's come boldly before the throne of our gracious God and then we will receive not judgment and punishment but mercy. You can come to him just as you are and never be the same once you meet with him. You can come boldly. Yeah, you really can. You don't have to cower when you come to God. You don't have to be afraid when you come to him. Jesus said God is our Father. He wants you to call him Father too. Start praying, call him Father. Start to tell your Father. Talk to him. If you're hurting today, let's give our hurts to him. Wherever you are, he's there with you. Now it's an opportunity. In your way, your own style. Just like those wise men, they came to Jesus with different things. But they just brought what they had what they were carrying. So go to God, go before God and talk to him. Father, thank you. We have a great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sacrificed his sin for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Lord. Right now he's praying for us. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. Take some time now just to talk to him because he's praying for you. He cares about you. He understands the details of your life. If you're struggling as we're coming up to Christmas, maybe it's family or finances or the future just seems scary, just tell him. Jesus is your high priest, he's your provider. He can meet all your needs according to his abundant riches. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He knows, feels, understands. You need healing, ask him. He bore stripes on his back so he could be your healer. If you're tired and overwhelmed and weak and broken, ask him now to be your strength. And ask him to be your saviour today. So your sin can be forgiven by the high priest who is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Ask him to do that. Say, take my sin away. We're not innocent. He was innocent in every way. We've all sinned. He never did. That's how and that's why he could give his life and rise again and satisfy God's justice and then extend God's mercy to me and to you. You and me are included. It's an inclusive gospel. He gave his life for you and for everybody. He died and he rose again. So anybody, no matter how bad we've been, 
doesn't matter how dark our life feels, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So today, if you admit your sin and recognise you need his forgiveness, you're not right with God by trying harder or because you're a good person, you're made right. Ask him to make you right because Jesus is perfect. Ask him to save you. Say yes to him. Tell him, Lord, I need your grace. I need your mercy. And I believe today by faith, I give my life to you. Thank you for being my great high priest, dying in my place so now I can live with you, forgiven forever. Thank you that you care and understand and you give me new life now. So fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can follow you as I give my life to you at this Christmas time and I give it all to you, all the rest of my days. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, my great King, my great priest and my wonderful Saviour. Amen. Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. Do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group, do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch, press the contact button so that you can email us, let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.